Gig Gab, the show for working musicians, episode 290 for Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021. Folks, and welcome to Gig Gab. All those twos and Tuesdays and two and two, 2021. And it feels like this is a day of repetition. This Groundhog Day, it is. Welcome to Gig Gab, the show by for and about working musicians. And here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Napomo, California, it's Paul Kent. And here on the show today, our sponsor is Bandzoogle.com, where code Gig Gab gets you 15% off your first year. We'll talk more in depth about that shortly. How are things in Napomo, my friend? Things are good. You know, the world opened up a little bit and that there is now allowed outside music and, you know, the ah. weather is okay. So the wineries can have, you know, someone. There's all sorts of mishigas of, of uh, no no singers because they're projecting farther. That stuff seems to have not been um, 12 feet is what they want for a okay. performer to be away from. Okay. So uh, it we may start to see some gigs breaking loose, which is kind of cool. That's and, pretty good. Uh, yeah. 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 That's good. You know, so a light. There is a light. Yeah. I mean, with, with everything that's sort of moving forward, um, you know, here we are in February and I realize not every state or country is at an even pace with vaccinations, but certainly here in New Hampshire, things are like, it, it is a fairly, it is as well-oiled a machine as it possibly could be, considering that the machine is doing its first pandemic. Uh, way better than, than way more, I don't want to say better, but certainly way further along than it was a month ago when, when we had this conversation. So I know lots of people that have had their vaccines. I know even more who are scheduled for their vaccines. Like, it's, it's moving. It's being efficient. And uh, I actually had more calls last week about stuff than I have in a year. And so ah. at least the perspective here is a lot of the stuff that's typically summer stuff, many of them, not all of them. Yeah. Many of them are starting to place their bets on the fall and know that there's only, you know, September and October here. Yeah. You know, that, that's the sweet spot. And so they're trying to get ahead of this. So I, I already had some things booked. For September, October. So I've got a, you know, half, I was kind of half booked already. And then last week was the first week it felt like, you know, what it usually happens around this time of year. But it's the summer stuff making bets on, you know, willing to at least put a tentative date on hold and see right. how things go. But that makes sense. How, yeah. yeah. Well, remember how I told you I got a gig and I said it was like September 19th and you said, oh, you'll play that gig. Yeah. 60 40 now we'll play that gig. Okay. Okay. I, I still think, I, I I mean, I think, and I, what do I know? I'm just a dude sitting in front of a microphone that sort of knows how to uh. play the drums. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and knows how to publish a podcast. I guess that's maybe the most important skill here. So bear that in mind with what I say, but I feel like within six to eight months, anybody that wants a vaccine will either have had one or definitely be on the schedule to get one. So six months puts us in July. July, yep. And eight months puts us not in the uh, end of September. Yeah, October. So I mean, again, I'm you know I I'm, I don't study this stuff any more than I do, but I think I feel like 
I don't know. I think we're, there's, 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 like you said, there's a glimpse of that light at the end of the tunnel. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Well, the conversations are starting to get um, focused, right? So I, mm. you know, I, I think I've told you there's this guy in our area who's probably, you know, the kind of big booking guy. He's a guy who's, you know, you, you know, the guy, cause you did some business with him at uh, red, at um, red devil lounge. He, so he owns that. He books touring bands. I mean, he, he he's he still own. Really, we're talking about Jay Segan. Does he still own Red Devil? I thought he sold that. He did. Okay. He, he used to, right? So right. anyway, Jay had a really, I want to get him on the show because he had a really interesting point about new business structures coming out of it. And this particular thread was a Facebook thread. Sure. And it was about um, how bands are going to really need to think twice about if they're going to be hard about guarantees versus doing door shares in this new world because- we just don't know, you know, what's going to happen in the new world. And, you know, especially these kind of mid-level, mid-touring bands. Yeah. You know, the 200, 200 to 700 seaters. Yeah. Um, that's a different business model coming out of all this. Well, even even your buddy Brad Maddox was saying that he doesn't think there will be guarantees in the same way that there always have been or there recently have been for A-list acts uh, as this reopens, he thinks he, you know, when he was on the show, he was saying he thought it was going to be everybody's, you know, everybody's sharing a, a stake in this now, which I think makes sense. You know, I guess nobody knows, right? I nobody mean, knows. How, yeah. So you gotta be a little be, flexible. I, I, you know, yeah, I, I'm you not have this rush of people saying, Oh, you know, as soon as it's open, everybody's going to rush to live shows again. Cause there's all this pent up demand. And there's people saying, wait a second, there's a lot of people still going to be cautious Absolutely. to make sure that the that the immunity is really immunity. And so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody knows. No, we got to send the canaries into the coal mine. Uh, and and yeah, I, I think once that happens, yes, there will be a, th th that pent up demand will will be realized manifest yeah, yeah well manifest but but i but that's not going to be i mean what is day one i already know plenty of people that have had the vaccine that that day isn't here yet right you know nobody's even those people aren't racing out to bars even the ones that i know have had their second shots and and that sort of thing so uh so yeah i i think it's it's gonna it's not gonna be a, a switch flip and and i think all of us each of us at a different degree and pace are gonna need to decide that we are comfortable and what that means, you know? So I, you know, I think there'll be masks for a while and, and, you know, distancing will get shorter and shorter. And, but I think it's, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the, 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 the scenario where a majority of the people are happy being, you know, sweaty next packed in sweaty with, with other unknowns is probably next year. Um, but you know, I was thinking about it, like, how would I feel after I was vaccinated? What would I do then like day one that I wouldn't do now? And I'm, I might, I mean, it's easy for me to say, cause it's like, I don't have to make this decision today, but I might be willing to eat indoors in a restaurant. Like there have been basically no transmissions. There's no pattern of transmissions in restaurants. I mean, we, there's a couple of outliers where you can say, okay, yeah, this, this place in Korea, yes, this happened, but by and large, it's not huge, but I still haven't, like, I don't currently feel comfortable eating indoors in a restaurant, despite the evidence uh, that tells me it's safe. I might feel differently about that if I were vaccinated and, you know, past the time where you need to be and all that stuff. So like, but that, that and that's just me, but everybody is going to have their own little, like, what are the things I'm willing to to do now that I wasn't willing to do before as we step forward into this? And, and it'll take a little time.
before we're before we're at like the roaring twenties. But I think we'll get there. Yeah. So now we're into the musicians in, in preparation and how do you prepare? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and this has been an interesting week. So we're a day late this week, later than we normally are. We normally record and release on Mondays. We are recording on Tuesday, hopefully releasing on Tuesday. No guarantee of that yet. Cause we're still recording. But um, the reason we didn't record yesterday is yesterday was the first day uh, of me being a university adjunct faculty member. Uh, I'm teaching a class called the business of podcasting here at the university of New Hampshire, right around the corner from me. And it required a lot of prep work. And I was, it's my first time ever teaching college students. So, you know, I was, I, I, I just had a lot to do yesterday, sort of preparing for this and was also just a little freaked out about it in a mostly healthy way. Kind of like that stage fright thing that you get, uh, that I get mm-hmm. for an important gig. You know, I, that tells me that I care. So I had a lot of that going on. That's why we pushed it off to today. So thank you, Paul, for being flexible with my schedule. <laughs> but I'm also this week in tech week for uh, a show that I've played before. And it's a really hard show. It's a show called Next to Normal. And I'm, I'm in tech week for that. We were supposed to have a rehearsal last night, but the it's, well, it's not snowing anymore. It's just like spitting icy hate out. But we got, I don't know, eight or 10 inches of snow last night. So we didn't have a rehearsal last night, but we did have one on, on Sunday afternoon. And, um, and I've been prepping for this and this is a difficult show, arguably one of the most difficult theater shows. It's a rock show, but has really weird pacing. It's a, it's a show about mental illness, um, at a very high level and, and at all the lower levels too. And the composers for this built the music to be uncomfortable like songs are built around three bar phrases instead of four bar phrases and there's time signatures that change in weird ways to keep the listener on their toes and not be comfortable and so as a musician you know i remember the first time i did this one of the things i told myself was if you feel comfortable and you know where a turnaround is it's only because you're wrong uh, you know so it, it's one of those shows you have to really pay attention to and the parts are are difficult. And it turns out, I remember a whole lot less of it than I thought I would have from doing Mm -hmm. it six years ago. There are moments, most of what I remember, it's interesting, Paul, most of what I remember are like those warnings in my head, like we'll be in the middle of a tune or I'll be practicing here in the middle of a song. It's like, wait, alert, alert. What you think is about to happen. Isn't going to happen. Look at the music. And then I look at the music and it's like right there. So I'm not necessarily remembering the parts, but I'm remembering how to approach them, which quite frankly is, is good. So here I am doing this thing, right? Something that that on the surface is extremely difficult. And and I don't mean to to sound cocky or conceited doing this, but like I can it's it's not a problem for me this particular show. It wasn't a problem for me the first time. It turns out that my reading skills that I developed in high school and college stuck with me, right? So here I am doing this, something that's really on paper difficult. And I can say, Oh yeah, I'm playing this difficult show. And then at the same time, I'm teaching this class and teaching the class petrifies me way more than playing this show. And it started me thinking like, here I am doing something new for me, challenging myself, stepping outside of my comfort zone at the same time that I'm telling myself that I'm playing a show that steps me outside of my comfort zone, except I know that in contrast, it does not because I know what stepping outside of my comfort zone feels like I did it yesterday. I'm going to have to do it again on Monday and again the next week. Right. So 
how do we as musicians, you know, as musicians, we get to a certain level of competence, of ability, and you have to walk on stage with confidence, even if you don't deserve it, right? Even if you know you don't deserve it, you have to. And I had to do the same thing yesterday. I had to walk up in front of those students, just like I had done it a hundred times before, even though it was my first time and everybody knew it was my first time, but I had, you know, I have to, to rope these people in. So I had mm-hmm. to do that. And it was like, okay, why, how do I do this to myself with music? Because I don't want to get complacent, but at the same time, I don't know how to not be. And, and it's just going to take some thought. I mean, I'll figure it out, but it, it just had me thinking like, we need to be careful as musicians not to not to convince ourselves that what is actually complacency is something challenging. So complacency is um, an interesting thing. You know, inertia is a, a, a challenge for musicians. So we have our own complacency. But I would ask the question about group complacency. And I was thinking about this because totally. as we're starting as we're starting to think about getting ready to start rehearsing my band again, a couple of things are different. We're gonna I have to pay for rehearsal space moving forward, right? Yeah. And we're gonna have very, very limited time moving forward, right? And we got to get our whole show back together. And it's been, you know, 18 months. So I know our old rehearsal habits were a group think of complacency, you know, that kind of manifested. It was always like, oh, I know so-and-so is never that prepared, so I don't have to be that prepared. I, I need to know it good enough, so uh, I'm not the guy. So you're not I'm the guy. Need to know it. Yeah. I'm not the guy who sticks out as, as didn't try anything at all. But I know we're going to kind of work it out together in, in rehearsal anyway. And I'm starting to, you know, message the guys saying, A, we're not going to have many much time. You know, I don't live there anymore. And B, I'm paying for it, so I want – you know, what the time used really, really effectively. And so, you know, we don't have the luxury of, of complacency, but complacency is a, a poison to a musician. I, I always think about that one episode we did where the soundbite was once in your mind, you say, I've got this, you're probably in a lot of trouble because yeah. in your mind, you've kind of relaxed on the nuances. You might go over it a couple of times. You might add a couple of things, but really got this really committed to memory. Like, like take the highest standard of got this and measure against if you're there. And the answer is almost always no. And then there's the other thing about how does your group, you know, deal with urgency. So complacency is tough. What, what is that saying about um, perfect? Perfect is the enemy of perfect is, is the enemy, enemy of the good. Perfect is the enemy. Right. Of the good. Right. Right. This is kind of the opposite of that, right? Like yeah, good enough, that's right. Yes. Yeah, good enough is the is is the enemy of, you know of improvement. Yes. Right? That's because it. that's where it stops. And I you know, I mean all you know, all these things come together. Uh, but I recently watched that new Zappa movie with uh with my son, and like he would never let himself he would never let any of the things that we're talking about here happen. At least that's the impression I get both from him in his speaking and the music that he created and also in his, uh, you know, from the musicians that played with him. Right. He was, he, 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 the the most important thing to him was challenging everyone on stage, including himself and also getting it perfect and watching some of those, I'm watching that band live. I've been a Zappa fan for a while, but 
I, I've never sat down and watched Zappa shows before. It, it's a whole different experience. It, I encourage everybody to go watch the live at the Roxy shows. I mean, it's just, I don't know, man. Like it, it's a whole it's a different level, band, right? It's a conductor led band. Yes, for sure. Which is a, a different thing. But I, but watching that, I now understand where Trey Anastasio and fish got his inspiration for doing, for running a band with that sort of onstage conduction. He achieves it a different way, but it's, it's very clearly, clearly inspired by Zappa. And and he said as much, but I never quite understood it until I watched these videos of Frank with the band, but also it's a band that plays perfectly. I mean, yes, he's conducting them, but from memory, they're playing everything. Yeah. Perfectly. I mean, it's just flawless. My son and I are watching it, looking at each other like, how was this even possible? It's amazing. So clearly a lot of hard work. I mean, obviously talented and well-trained people, but clearly a lot of hard work to get though, even those people to that point. So, so I mean, there's, there's, okay. So that's one path is Mm -hmm. create yourself music that will perpetually challenge you. Um, That's one way to do it. You know, another way I've been thinking of of this is what if I and and this isn't my idea. My friend Billy Butler, uh, who is the leader founder of, of Bitter Pill, has encouraged me to play different instruments. So, you know, I mean, we did that video where I was I was playing the literally playing a steel mm-hmm. drum, like a, the, the, the 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 you know, Robert like, yeah. yeah, the guard, the, the drum of nuclear waste or whatever it is. Um so like creating different instruments and, and challenging myself, because that would be very uncomfortable, right? To be on stage playing weird instruments as opposed to a drum set that's that's super comfortable for me. So like that's one way of doing this. And just I, I there is value in Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, in getting out of your comfort zone. You know, th- there's as 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 we get older, there are more and more conversations about neuroplasticity. And one of the best ways to keep and neuroplasticity being your brain's ability to create new connections, uh, which gets worse as we get older, but it doesn't have to. And so, you know, one of the ways of it, of keeping that up is like any anything else is exercising it. And by, by stepping comfortably outside of your comfort zone. So you don't want to step way too far out and, and paralyze yourself with, with fear and uncertainty, but stepping just enough out of it so that you are a little bit scared all the time. That's a pretty yeah. good thing. But it's also nice, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned recently, you know, we got three fifths of fling back together and it was really nice to just like ah, settle in and not worry and like all that stuff, <laughs> you know, uh, a little bit of dopamine and a little bit of serotonin goes a long way. So, <laughs> so it's a balance, I, I suppose, is what it comes down to. But, but making sure I, I'm really, I want to be more proactive about creating scenarios that, that challenge me in a in an uncomfortable way uh because i've i'm finding this week that that's different than challenging me to play things that are super technical on the drums right you know while also keeping a groove and keeping it all together like that i i'm used to that it doesn't mean that i've perfected it but it is not different enough to me like you know so i get that's really interesting so you for most people Harder and harder material, but I don't play hard material, right? I don't, you know, I don't play Zappa stuff. However, 
there are quite a few things I play that are like finger picking guitar stuff. That's hard to sing and play at the same time. Right. There you go. So, yeah. so, you know, hard is a, is a moving target of stuff, right? You totally. know, whatever your brain doesn't naturally do well. I know for me, again, I, I have to work 10 times as hard as most people on vocals. So I will record myself singing a song then print out the lyrics and then highlight the words that I'm screwing up, you know, or, or the phrases that I'm not getting right, or whether it's flat or wind or sure. air or whatever it might be. Everybody has to find their own way to kind of deal with that, um, that polishing process. I mean, I'm working on um, here, there and everywhere by the Beatles oh, is yeah. a really hard song for me to sing. It pops up to falsetto, you know, it's, it, you know, I, the way that it feels best to me and the key that I'm doing is kind of breathy, but you know, if it's breathy, that means you got to have a lot of air and all these types of things. And I am wrestling with this freaking song to get it where I like it. Not that I'm trying to sound like McCartney or anything like that. I just want it to be right. And, you know, I want it to sound good for me, yeah. but it is one of those songs that I almost have to go word by word, phrase by phrase. Um, the playing isn't too bad, but the singing on that one is one that I constantly, I've got to ask myself, is this, and good enough won't cut it. You can't butcher Beatles. You can't butcher anything if you, you know, if you yeah. care about your audience, but yeah. you're really dealing with, you know, the Bible here. If you start butchering Beatles songs, right? It, for many of us, that is true. Yes. Uh, and I say that as someone who hates seeing Beatles songs butchered and has certainly butchered his share of Beatles songs. So yes, uh, I, I, I've experienced it from both sides and I'm not proud about one of them. Um, you said something in there that's interesting to me that brings me to perhaps another topic. Uh, so I don't want to uh, derail us here, but are, are we, are we good with this one for now? I think it's, it's don't get complacent, get uncomfortable. I, I, to yeah. me, that's the the message here. That, I just wear the magic. I, I'll just close by saying that. Yeah. Whenever I talk to my band about things like song selection or things that you do on stage, performance issues, all sorts of things. I know as a manager of people in, in, in other parts of my life that often it's in the uncomfortable where the magic happens. Totally. Yeah. It's where it's where you summon something from yourself to try and meet a challenge and it, it it is something uniquely you about how you meet the challenge. And when it comes to music, it, it's you know typically manifests as a chops thing. But it, there's good stuff in the area of discomfort. Absolutely, and yeah. And as I'm thinking about it now, you know, if I rewind ten years, I was terrified of being of going out on stage in like some sort of a costume or. Even just stage garb, it was like, oh, I'll wear my a onesie guy. Well, now I'm I'm onesie guy, right? But it used to be like, okay, a black shirt, jeans. Okay, that's my outfit on stage. It's safe. It's I'm comfortable with it. Blah blah blah. And and now I I'm onesie guy, right? Like so, <laughs> it's it's um. So but but that was good, right? For me to get uncomfortable with that yeah. to to find some magic and and but now I need to do. I I can't stop. I I have. I mean, I could stop. I don't want to. I need to remind myself not to. I also need to remind myself and all of us about our sponsor, Bandzoogle at bandzoogle.com because Bandzoogle is where you're going to be able to host your band's online presence, your electronic press kit, your home for everyone to visit you, your fans, booking agents, everything because Bandzoogle is built by musicians for musicians, they know what you want, but the good news is they also know how to put it together. So they've got the geeks on staff that have figured out all the stuff you need to do behind the scenes, serving your website, putting together all the templates, 
making your template templates look beautiful on mobile and on desktop and on tablet and all of that stuff. And then they just let you come in and you get to do the fun work of you pick it, you pick a template, right? They've got a bunch to choose from and then you can customize the crap out of it, of course, so that you've got your, uh, you know, your imagery, your stuff and, and now it's yours. And then they've got tools to sell your merch and your music all commission free. You can do crowdfunding and fan subscription commission free. You can use their mailing list tools to send out newsletters, social media integrations, all of it is backed by live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. And here it gets even better because, because you're a GigGab podcast listener, you can go to bandzoogle.com. You get to try it free for 30 days, and then you can use promo code GigGab, all one word, G-I-G-G-A-B, to get 15% off your first year of any subscription. So that's bandzoogle.com, promo code GigGab, and our thanks to Banzoogle for sponsoring this show. Thanks, Banzoogle. So you said something in there. You said, you know, I don't want to play uh, this song and sound like Paul McCartney, but I want it to be the best that I can do. And this reminded me of something that I don't know why this has been swimming in my head this week, but it has. As we're picking, we've talked a lot about picking songs for our bands. So I'm taking this from solo artist with your comment, Paul, and, and sort of, you know, expanding it out to our bands. As we're picking songs, especially as we're picking cover songs, although I, I suppose this would also work. In fact, I know it works with originals too. Um, sometimes you'll have an idea or you'll, you'll know a song that you're like, Oh, I would love to play that. And it, of course we've, we've beat it to death and we'll do it more that there are all the boxes to check. Does it serve your audience in the way that you've promised uh, that you are going to serve your audience? So if you're a dance band, like, does it make them dance? And you know, all of those things, does it do that? It needs to check that box. Of course. Right. Whatever that is. And that could be, if you're a weird instrumental original band, well then is it weird instrumental original? And is it going to check that box? Like, okay. Does it do, does it entertain the way you want it to entertain? Great. Uh, does it fit, you know, all of that stuff. But beyond that, I think it's really important for us to, when I think of a new song to bring to the band, if I'm not immediately thinking, okay, like our lead singer or the person that's going to sing this tune, if your band doesn't have a lead singer, but our lead singer is going to crush this, like this song would be great for that player or, you know, this song would be our lead guitar player is going to, this is great. Or this is perfect for the way our bass player plays. Or, you know, our drummer is going to nail this groove. That's going to be excellent. If you don't have at least one of those thoughts as you're putting a song on the list to try out with your band, I would say the rest of it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you know I, I do this. And yeah. Actually, I've evolved from this. So okay. how many of us hear a song um, and it's a, it's a, you know, a, for us who play, you know, what used to be called top 40 or, you know, play <laughs> music that people knows, right? Whatever you want to call it now. Yeah. You're a cover band. How many times do you hear a song and it makes you feel a certain way and you're like, oh, we got, we got to play this. You haven't yet jumped to the filter of, but would this work for us? Mostly, you're just reacting to your visceral response to a song. It came on the radio. You haven't heard it in, in a while. 
we want to bring back something cool. It, you know, it, 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 the box of checks is it is something people know. It is something other bands in the area might not be playing. And that's about as far as you go. And you haven't really mapped over to. And, and I do this a lot. Right. I do. Uh, it took me a long time to temper my enthusiasm for cool music that I didn't think other bands were playing. Sure. And think whether my band could actually do a good job with it. <laughs> right. Right. And that's it. Yeah. Can your band, you know, put it through the filter of because whatever you play, chances are it's going to sound like your band playing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it, it, unless you're a tribute band and and that it also is true. You just have handpicked a band, hopefully that, that you can sound like that you can sound like. Yeah, exactly. But otherwise, I mean, it, it, regardless, it's going to sound like you playing it because it's you playing it. So. Really think about like, what is that going to be? And I, I've, I've been in bands. In fact, you know, we've talked about it here. I, I always feel bad when like with, uh, with fling Burke would bring in these grateful dead tunes and he's a huge deadhead. And I always felt like for him, not for the rest of us, but for him, that was a huge liability because it would never like, it would sound like us playing it, not yeah. like the dead playing it. And I mean, I know when I say that out loud, of course that's true. But it it would never often there were there were a few songs that went through the fling machine and actually sounded like, you know, good. And he was happy with. But a lot of times it would be like, yeah, this this doesn't sound like what you thought it would sound like or what you want it to sound like or what it sounds like in your head. So I feel like if you pick a song and you're not immediately hearing what your band would sound like playing it, it might be the wrong. Or if, if when you do that, you don't like what you think you're hearing. It might not yeah. be the right song. Like I, you have to put it through that filter and it's not easy, but it, but it, like I said, the litmus test is if a song comes up on the radio or something and you're like, Oh man, you know, Tom would, Oh, he would crush that part in this song. Like that's, that's, good. that's a good reason to put it on the list. <laughs> but if you're like, Oh, we got to play this song. And, and you're reacting to just how you viscerally are responding yeah. to some great song coming out of the ether. I mean, I mean, I get it. And I am certainly guilty of that. 100%. Actually, we're doing one right now, right? So I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of live music, right? I have lots of yeah. bootlegs and I love, but I love live music in the, like Tom Petty bootlegs and Springsteen bootlegs and Mellencamp bootlegs and kind of that, that's kind of my style. And I love all those things. And I, still to this day, as much as I love their original music, I love how they pay homage to some great song and, and we'll throw a cover in now and then. Shetty, sure. you know, did it quite a bit. Bruce does it quite a bit, you know, yeah. and most artists do it to some degree, yeah. right? F fish is, always you know, fish plays, if they don't play one cover a show, it's, it's almost surprising. Right. And, and some shows, if things aren't going well for them, they might play four or five covers because they know that that's low hanging fruit and they can yeah. nail them and put on a rock show. And so, yeah, of course it happens. And th there's a dotted line to the, you know, you know how we talk about the honky tonk woman thing. Like you can sure. do almost anything to that song and people will still like it. Not, not that that's right to do anything to that. song. No, but you, but that is true. And, and that's also true for like the Mustang Sally's and the brown eyed girls and, and all that stuff too. But yeah. it's actually true for many songs. If they're great songs, right? If the hook in the song comes out and I'll, and here, here's one we're working on now. So um, I love little Steven and the disciples of soul, a, a band very similar to the house rockers, yep. big horn section, you know, two guitars, keys, but their difference is that they have three girl, you know, great singers, um, background singers. But anyway, he just released last week um, a CD music of a set that they did at the Cavern Club in Liverpool that was all Beatles music done to their style. Sure. Right. And I just 
loved the version of Magical Mystery Tour that they did. I've always loved that song. Yeah. I love the version they did, and it maps to my band's instrumentation, my band's vibe. So I'm going to cop that one. And, you know, so, so I went through the more advanced form of the filter, which is like, oh, this song would be so cool to open a show with, you know, with the horn section and, oh, and yeah. you know, just the vibe of it and the drive. And it drives a little bit more than the Beatles did, you know, just a little bit more modern you know, treatment of it, which sure. is what our band sounds like. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, I kind of went through like, Oh yes, I can sing that phrasing. I got three great harmony singers and they, they you know, they're not the girls, but it originally wasn't the girls. Anyway, that song, the hooks, the, you know, the memorable parts, I, you can adapt that thing. And actually great, great songs. Most of the time you can adapt. them. I see a lot of arguments on a lot of cover band um, message boards about respecting the original, that type of stuff. I'm not, I'm not quite that. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. play it well and play it right. But I don't, I don't, I think there's always room. And that's kind of one of the cool things about music is kind of like how, what, what people hear, what good musicians hear in other songs that they can do to make it their own. And I, that's what I react to when, you know, Petty's done, you know, so many covers. I'm like, Oh my God, how brilliant is that? Yeah. And you know, he, he, there's enough of the original that you hear that there's love for the original and then there's the stuff that makes it petty, which if you love petty, that makes it a petty thing. So that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on that. Uh, and and that's, that's actually a really good point is the, you know, people are there to see you. They know they're seeing you. And so it's good for you to be in, injected into this song. I mean, if it, if it wasn't, that'd be weird, but it's gotta be something you play well. And, and I think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this one song. It really is two songs that, that Burke, brought into fling relatively early on one was pretzel or is pretzel logic uh, mm. from steely dan and another's a fish tune called sample in a jar he didn't even know it was a fish tune he thought it was a little feet tune because little feet <laughs> had covered it on on one right. of their records and those two songs when he first brought them in i was like oh, i don't know honestly at the time i didn't even know pretzel logic all that well uh, obviously I knew sample in a jar and I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, sure. It's like, I'll play it. We'll see how it goes in rehearsal. And, and, but then it still has to make, make the cut for the gig. You know, it doesn't, right. it's gotta be good for the gig. And uh, as the, as the arranger, uh, the creator of each gig set list, I, you know, I felt like I, I could, I could impose my will at the appropriate part in the process. And I would stay out of it early on, relatively speaking, because I sometimes would guess wrong. And these two soon's songs proved me wrong. I, you know, we played pretzel logic once and it was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like we're the right, this is the right song for this lineup. Like this so is great. And the same with sample. And then, and we've tried a couple other fish tunes that other guys have brought in. I've never brought one in because it's I, it, like, I know them all or many of them. So I, I figure it's better for other people to bring those songs in so that it's the one they know. You know, and, and, and now there's two of us in the band that know the song and that actually is really helpful. So, um, but we've tried others and they, they don't work as, it's not like every fish tune works for fling. It's, it's like one or two of them do. And the same yeah. is true with Steely Dan and, and Grateful Dead and, you know, all these others. It's like, you got to find the right ones sure, and know that it's probably not going to be your favorite <laughs> when your favorite to hear the original artist play. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, but Magical Mystery Tour is a great song to start a show with. McCartney started one of his tours with that. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was like, oh, yeah, holy crap. Here we go. Show it game on. Let's go. Because that's not easy. All those harmonies and like weird. That's a weird tune, man. Yeah. But like I said, the version that I got kind of 
strips some of the produced weirdness because mm. it's a live thing. Yet, you know, the stuff that I need in it that people will remember from it, you know, that it's still right out front. Yeah, right, right. That's great. That's great. Yeah, a good arrangement can solve a lot of that. I think it's good, man. It's good. I like it. I like it. So hopefully, I don't know, what songs, have you folks been through this? Like, what, what? What have what songs have surprised you either that did work for your band or didn't work for your band and and why and and do you have any other litmus tests that you run songs through that that help you kind of shortcut to not wasting everyone's time by trying something that that you that isn't going to work like how I have how, one that didn't work for us yeah well feedback at giggabpodcast.com. I just want to make sure everybody got that so what one didn't work for you Paul for whatever reason. You Sexy Thing by Hot Chocolate. Mm. You know, it's kind of like a sparse type of thing. And to me, it always felt like it it didn't have the buy-in, right? And so, so, you know, there was that tentativeness where it really kind of has to groove, right? Yeah. And, um, And, you know, and then I, you know, was trying to find some magic and said, well, let's try stretching out this section. That was kind of the wrong thing for guys who didn't, weren't into the, into it in the first place. Right. So let's play it longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, um, we saw, it, it's funny you mentioned that tune. Uh, we saw Fish play that. I was thinking about it. Because, what's that? They played. Well, yes, they played you sexy thing. They played it a few times, but not many. But the last time I saw it was one of the last times I saw fish when we were in Mexico back in last February. So almost a year ago. And the reason I was thinking about it was because the day that they played it was the whatever anniversary of uh, of the the uh, the the miracle game, the hockey game where the Ah. USA team beat, uh, you know, beat Russia in the Olympics 1980. And uh, and so. You know, that was the, you know, the, I think it was Al Michaels who famously said, do you believe in miracles? And so I was like, oh, that's why they're playing this song. Like, okay. So everybody there got the joke because that's just what it's like being a fish fan. You, you you know, there's always often there's hidden meaning, especially with something like that. You know, you can see the band laughing and it's like, all right, why are they playing this? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is okay. You know, and then, and the crowd will help each other and, and sort of like, yeah, it's full of Easter eggs. That's one of the reasons I, I got into fish before I even knew about their music. So so it was fine and it was funny and everybody got the joke or everybody was told what the joke was and then got it and appreciated it, but it wasn't good. You know, it was, it was Not a great joke. <laughs> it was right. It was a joke. And it was one of those things. Like if you, you know, we say this all the time, plan a half, you know, plan a half-assed version of some request or something is fine. As long as everybody in the room is in on the, the fact that you're playing a half-assed version of some request. Right. And and this was the same sort of thing. But if somebody walked in and that was the only fish song, it was the only song they ever saw this band play, they'd be like, this band's terrible. Now, the chances <laughs> of that happening at a, you know, exclusive event at, you know, for like 5,000 people in, in Mexico, <laughs> really, really low. Like, it's just not going to happen. But, you know, what if one of the staffers is walking by at the place? Like, that band was awful. Like, can you imagine all these people came all this way to hear a band play like that? I'm leaving. And then, you know, they miss out on other stupid things that the band did. So um, they also played Sweet Jane at that show, which was terrible. It's not a good song for them. But anyway. Is that part of the deal with the covers? Is that they're more about the randomness of the covers than it is about 
about the you know efficacy of the cover? Um, it depends. Sometimes covers are are there to serve the purpose of you know to be the the butt of the joke, or to like they they opened that particular show with Willen, uh, and they and John Fishman, the drummer, came out front and center with a like a this crazy suit on that he never wears. I've never seen him wear. And Trey played drums and they played, they played Willen, uh, which they had only played, I think once before when they covered waiting for Columbus for a Halloween show. And it was, it was, I mean, it was hysterical. Uh, and it turns out it was a request of someone to a friend of the band and it made it through and the band was just having fun. So sometimes yes, covers are, are that and they're terrible, but other times like I was thinking uh, the, we saw him the opening of a tour in 2019, like in the Thanksgiving weekend or something. And the, you know, the first show of a tour can be a little dry. Sometimes they don't necessarily have their, you know, their rhythm together or whatever. And, but they know that they need to end sets strong. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, they, they know that they're putting on a rock show in front in an arena. And so they ended the first set with, uh, with fire Hendrix's fire and crushed it. And, and then the same thing sort of happened in the second set and they ended with walk away the, the old Joe Walsh tune and, or James yeah. gang tune rather, and yeah. crushed it. They, they do, and they do great versions of those, especially walk away. It'd that, be interesting to be a fly on the wall as they conceptualize covers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm not sure. It depends on the cover. I think some of them, you know, they can, they're conceptualized literally on stage and there's not a whole lot of thought. And then others, there's a lot of thought put into it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, good stuff, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I got for today. You got anything else? I'm all good. I'm all good too, folks. Thanks for listening. Like I said, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on any of this uh, stuff that we talked about today. How are you? What are some good ways to make yourself? And I ask this very selfishly because I want to. I want ideas about how to make myself uncomfortable musically so that i can keep stretching and all that stuff um so send them in to us feedback at giggabpodcast.com we'd love to hear from you and that's what i got man you could put a hole in the bottom of the onesie paul that gets dangerous i don't know a little, who get a little I think air going up there that makes the crowd uncomfortable you know there's a i don't know man you'd always be performing well some part of me would 